Hi, this is Gina Pangalangan. And I'm Jordan McMahon. This is Education Outside the Lines, a podcast where we are having very real conversations on education and parenting with Gina, a mom and educator with a unique philosophy. Hi, Gina. So we are back. And in part one of this topic, we discuss the difference between a 21st century learning approach and a 20th century learning approach. And unfortunately, it's clear that our educational system in America is stuck in the 20th century in an era of industrial values. So now I want to actually talk about what a 21st century classroom looks like. And um, obviously, it's clear that in past podcasts, we have been recording at Sunday Academy, where Gina is the founder and principal. So this is happening. This is happening all around us, this 21st century learning approach, um, the rearrangement of the desks, this entire Um, all these buildings on this campus look very different from a traditional school. So Gina, tell us about the classrooms here and how they're different from traditional schools. Okay. Well, there's a few um, really solid principles that I believe in. One is the theory of multiple intelligences, and that is the idea that we all learn in different ways and we all might have a strength in one area. Well, our traditional classrooms really were set up for the logical and linguistical Mm -hmm. learning style, if you believe in this multiple intelligence theory that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And those are those kids that learn very easily in that academic true setting, Mm -hmm. reading information or listening to a lecture and then being able to to regurgitate it back on a test. Mm -hmm. Um, But we know that there are so many talented people out there in the world that may say they didn't do well in school, and it doesn't mean they're not intelligent. Mm -hmm. Um, But is a social intelligence recognized in a traditional classroom? No, we're not even allowed to talk in most of our classrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to be quiet. Um, Is the kinesthetic, you know, body kinesthetic movement type of learning acceptable? No, half of our kids are overdiagnosed with ADD because of that, Mm -hmm. because they're asked to sit for, you know, six or seven hours a day. so I, I just challenge people when they look at the, the successful people in the world and go back and look at their story and see, did they learn well in a traditional classroom? And if you if they didn't, does that mean they're not intelligent? Mm-hmm. So with that said, I believe our classrooms should be set up to at least cover topics of, of content in all different ways. So you're hitting those kids' mm-hmm. different intelligences. Mm-hmm. So I don't want our teachers just standing up and giving a lecture for all the content that they need to uncover. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes there's a mini lesson, and they do stand up in front of the class, and they walk around, but um, not very often because that's only about 20% of our kids that learn that way best. Right. The others are playing catch-up. So I challenge my teachers to think, if you know this child's learning style or the mm-hmm. multiple intelligences, their intelligent level, or if they taught that content in that way, they would mm-hmm. be more likely to remember it in their long-term memory. Mm-hmm. And that's every teacher's goal. They want their content to stick. They want, it, they want those kids to remember it, not mm-hmm. just for the test, mm-hmm. but forever. And if they can do it in the way that child learns best... Um, It will. The other thing is if they can do it in a way that's interesting for that child. Mm -hmm. So fun and games, right? At Mm -hmm. all different levels. Even our eighth graders, they like to play games that they're, you know, that are development appropriate for their age. So we have a lot of fun and it's purposeful fun because we believe if they're having fun, they're going to be engaged. They're more likely to remember the content. Mm-hmm. Not just because we want to have fun, <laughs> but right, it certainly right. makes it more enjoyable to teach in those environments. Mm-hmm. Um, the other really big 
uh, component that I believe in is what we're saying about the brain and the brain research. Mm -hmm. The brain research is now saying kids need movement Mm -hmm. to remember information. We have some times where they sit still, but getting up and transitioning and moving Mm -hmm. is part of our daily routine. We have, we have brain breaks. Um, We have, we have quick little. How often do those happen? Well, it's really kind of up to the teacher. She's mm-hmm. she's free to look, she or he is free to look at the class and say, my kids need a break right now, or Johnny needs a break right now. Right. So there's another thing I believe in, Jordan. I believe FAIR is giving everybody what they need, not mm-hmm. FAIR is giving everybody equal things. Right. So Johnny needs a break, Johnny can have a break. He doesn't have to wait until the teacher says everybody gets a break. Mm-hmm. So it's not a free-for-all. Johnny still needs to do it in the boundaries of the teacher's, you know, um, permission, Mm -hmm. but we look at every child and say, what does this child need? Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't always look equal, Mm -hmm. but fair doesn't have to be equal. Um, But I was starting to say about the neuroscience, the the brain needs water, it needs sunshine, it Mm -hmm. needs exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we know that when the brain feels happy, content, and safe, it's going to learn more. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm putting these these terms into, you know, teacher talk, but... um, we want our classrooms to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. We want them, the kids to be greeted when they walk in. We want mm-hmm. them to feel happy that they're, they're um, here. We want them to feel valued, not because we're the love cocoon, but because mm-hmm. we know if they do, they're going to learn more. Mm-hmm. Certainly it makes it easy to love, love kids too that way mm-hmm. because everybody's happier. Yeah. But our kids like to come here. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of research out there about how stress really shuts down uh, parts of the brain that are required for memorizing information, for holding on to information. Pretty much, if you're in in stress, you're not you're not retaining anything. And I mean, if you think about that, like it's it's just true. You know, even if you're if you're driving and you're having stress stress in traffic, probably whatever your kid is saying to you at the same time in the back of the car, you're not taking in what they're saying. You're not, you know. And so, if a kid is in a stressful situation or just feels kind of a constant sense of stress while they're at school or you know feeling like they don't matter which is which is definitely causes a constant state of stress then you know why are they even there I mean mm-hmm. the, the information they're taking in it just is it's not going to stick so yeah I think I, that's I, a huge factor in everything you're, you're absolutely right and I think we need to be open-minded as teachers that kids stress and their perception of what could be stressful could be different mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe we don't think they're they're in stress, but they could be in something else. Like, I don't know. They have lots of different things going on from their families and, mm-hmm. and what they bring into the classroom. So we shouldn't assume somebody's not in stress or because it wouldn't be stressful for us. Why would it be stressful for them? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of kids come to schools with, you know, not good nutrition in the morning, maybe mm-hmm. a stressful night's sleep, maybe something happened in their family. We can't help that, mm-hmm. but what we can do is make them feel comfortable and love when they get mm-hmm. there. So hopefully mm-hmm. school could be the most consistent, healthy, happy place for right. them. But a lot of our schools aren't. A lot of the mm-hmm. kids are nervous. Um, they're worried about the test that's coming mm-hmm. up. They're they're worried about some social things that are going on that nobody knows about, you know, mm-hmm. that their adult people that are there to protect them don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we unfortunately in the state, age we have to think about school shootings and we have Mm -hmm. these practice drills and you know who knows how that's affecting some of our kids and their minds Mm -hmm. so if we you know we can't stop those things because those are important we should practice those drills I get why Mm -hmm. we're doing it but can we make the other times that they are trying to learn Mm -hmm. 
happy and safe for them. Which brings up for me um, this truth around here, which is that um, the the there. The student ratio, uh, teacher-student ratio, is different around here than it is in a traditional school. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, um, our classrooms run between 12 and 16 mm-hmm. um, students per teacher, and we also have a lot of parent volunteers, so sometimes it might even be better than that. Mm-hmm. At our high school, depending on what classes the kids are involved in, what credits they need, and what projects they're doing, they could be in a small group with a teacher of five. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have it. We have a nice setup here mm-hmm. to be able to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I would challenge other teachers that, that if their principals give them a little freedom not to worry so much about teaching to the test mm-hmm. and try to think about their lessons being taught in different ways. It's not easy, but it's more fun and it's right. more enjoyable when your kids get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard so many teachers over the years. I, when I was in special education, that my district would send me to different buildings. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I met a lot of teachers along the way. Mm-hmm. And then I moved from Columbus to Dayton, too. So you'd hear teachers being so frustrated that kids didn't get something. Like, why aren't mm-hmm. they getting it? I'm teaching it over and over, and they're not getting it. Well, my, my question would be teach it in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, teach yeah. it in different, multiple ways, right, yeah. for the multiple yeah. intelligences. And, yes, it might be hard. You might have to plan some fun lessons and bring some things in to mm-hmm. do some hands-on or some experiments. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when your kids get it, you can check that off your list and feel right. good about it. Right, yeah. It so. kind of reinforces your passion as a teacher, too. Yeah, and a lot of teachers will say, well, we have kids on IEPs that have learning issues. Guess what? Those kids can learn this way too. Mm-hmm. Every child is capable of learning. It's up to us as a teacher to find out how. Right. Sometimes we have to go in the back door instead of the front door. Mm-hmm. Which um, brings me to teachers. Like, what does Sunday do differently with t- the teachers? How do you lead the teachers differently? What does Sunday require from the teachers that's different from, from public schools? Talk a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, the first and foremost, they have to believe in the mission of the school um, yeah. because there are still those people that are skeptical. Well, you're doing it this way, but, you know, the teachers have to feel very confident in what they're doing because there are some skeptics because we are yeah. doing something that seems different. We're trying to change the face of education. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to believe in the philosophy, but then I, I educate them. I want them to know all about how the brain learns. That's very important mm-hmm. to me. So, you know, they're teachers, but they're also learning neuroscience mm-hmm. um, as much as possible from, from me and any other resources I can get my hands on. They learn in school about how to teach educational content. For, from me, they'll learn about why social-emotional intelligence is also important and having mm-hmm. that, that good culture, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, so I think educating them about why we do what we do and the research mm-hmm. behind it really helps. And then I try to give them lots of support. Um, they don't buy a lot of their own supplies. We try to find it for them. Mm-hmm. We try to support them when they're having a special event through the office. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they feel valued here. And mm-hmm. I think just like the kids, if the teachers feel valued and appreciated mm-hmm. and have some autonomy, then they're going to they're gonna do a better job of teaching. Right. right. Um, so that was more about what we do, I guess, for our teachers. Mm-hmm. The approach affects everybody. It affects, it can affect the entire community, really. Um, there's way more of a sense of connection. There's way more of a sense of just implementing, like you said, all the current neuroscience, which is so helpful. It's so helpful for, for every level of dysfunction that we have in society. Why would we not implement that, you know, in the institutions that are the most crucial to society and to us flourishing, 
you know, down the road. Like, it's just what's going to affect the next generation. And these kids are spending so much time with their teachers, you know, um, six hours a day at school, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. But that's an incredible amount of time to spend with an individual who doesn't feel like they have any autonomy, who doesn't feel valued, who feels stressed out. Uh, feels like their hands are tied, who doesn't really know the students, you know, which is what we're seeing a lot in traditional schools. And so if all of those things start to change, which they should, because we do have a lot more information that could tell us now, you know, hey, hard science, this isn't working. This is not influencing people well. There are so many better methods. Um, You know, why wouldn't we do that? And teachers are a huge part of that. They're people too. And so it's it's people affecting little people, and um, it's you know it's parents and teachers interacting, and it's all of that coming together. So I think as a leader who's getting to watch something different take place, what is the biggest difference that you see? I mean, when you think about the kids that have graduated from Sunday, you know, how have you seen that it's been a combination of all of these little things and parent involvement too and support? that have affected them? I mean, can you think of like an example or just kind of talk generally about, you know, that? The biggest thing that I think we teach here is learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. And and then some of them loving learning, mm-hmm. you know, if you can instill that love in it. But, you know, there's, there's almost, um, there's nothing that you can't learn on the internet if you look for it nowadays mm-hmm. with technology. But you have to want to learn and you have mm-hmm. to know how to learn. Mm-hmm. So we are... Um, we are learning content in all these different ways, but we're more interested in teaching kids how to learn. Mm-hmm. So the ways we do it is different. Like I said, we don't stand up and lecture very often. We have classes that are in little pods and groups so the kids learn how to work with other people. Mm-hmm. We, we, as a staff, looked at what are employers saying that our kids are missing out on, that mm-hmm. they don't have when they mm-hmm. come to a job. And we're mm-hmm. implementing those skills. So we've always done a lot with collaboration, but a lot of the jobs in the 21st century require collaboration. Mm-hmm. And our kids aren't able to collaborate much because they were in a traditional school where you're doing your own work and your own mm-hmm. worksheet and your own test, and you're not working in groups. So mm-hmm. we try to do that. We actually have something here at our high school that we call the four C's. And it's in our younger grades too, just maybe called some different things. But we, we believe in the four C's just like the the three R's. Um, mm-hmm. So critical thinking, collaboration, creativity, and communication. Mm-hmm. Those are really important skills. So we, when we do teach content, we're going to teach it through a project where we can work on those four C's at the same time. Mm-hmm. With the use of the internet, we don't have to have every fact memorized. We're not, we're not just working on kids' memory here mm-hmm. and seeing what they can memorize and, and put on a test and dump mm-hmm. the next day. Mm-hmm. We're working on learning content, but through these these four C's. Right, and it is remarkable. Um, you can see the four C's play out in the just the looks on the kids' faces around here when they're working on this project-based learning approach, which I want you to talk more about. But, for instance, uh, at the high school anyway, the kids did a project where they analyzed car crashes, and they had to, um, they had to analyze... The dynamics of a car, a car crash from, you know, a scientific perspective. So they're learning the physics of it. They're applying the physics. Yeah. They're learning why they need to know physics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
then they had to do projects and presentations based on a lot of the data that they found. They did, um, they worked on the Socratic method and another method, I can't remember what it's called, but they incorporated basically every single field of learning Mm -hmm. into this project. And I think the most important thing was that they then collaborated with each other to do a presentation on what what's going to help stop car accidents. They cared about that because there's not a kid, there's not really a person on earth who doesn't worry a little bit about that or hasn't been affected probably by some sort of car crash, you know, in some capacity. Well, and they're all learning to drive and we yes, want them to stay yes, safe. Yep. Um, and then the teachers also did, they always do a big launch to any mm-hmm. project and that's the hook to get the kids excited. Right. So they brought in a car that had been crashed on a tow truck that. and everybody mm-hmm. went outside to see it. And mm-hmm. so usually on the introduction of the, of the project, it's mm-hmm. some type of fun event mm-hmm. to get that hook in, not just a teacher standing up there today, we're going to learn blah, blah, right. blah. Yeah. And so. they brought in a, a semi truck as well. That's that right. The really semi truck cool. driver mm-hmm. came in and he was talking about, you know, the traffic that he sees and how what, what the kids should do when they see a semi-truck on the highway and how to drive the around that. Blind spots and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It was really, really interesting. Yes. And so what you what you were talking about is what we call integrating the, the content and the curriculum mm-hmm. into a project. Mm-hmm. At our younger grades, we call it a theme, thematic units. We integrate the content. So, um, you know, the real world isn't, uh, here's our math time, here's our reading time, here's our social mm-hmm. studies, here's our science. Yeah. The real world is learning all kinds of things at the Using same time. Together. And the social and emotional intelligence to then take all the information. A lot of the time it's also something that we all care about. Letting it draw us close to each other because we all care about it and then doing something about it together. And they have to learn that as well. And it's so cool to see kids not just sitting, but to see them. I think the biggest difference that I see around here from what I know of traditional classrooms is that kids are up, moving, writing, talking, working on their laptops, going over and getting different things. They're, I mean, they're just, they're, it's it's such a different environment physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned the teacher earlier, what the teacher's doing in those classrooms is walking around in small groups and talking to kids mm-hmm. about what they're doing. Questions can be asked back and forth between a teacher and a student, you know, on the fly. No one has mm-hmm. to raise their hand and wait to be to be called on, but what I'm hear, what I hear from a lot of kids that come into our schools is, when I was in school, I was afraid to ask a question, mm-hmm. or you know, I didn't want to take more time from the teacher and mm-hmm. and ask questions. Here, it's just dialogue, and it's going on constantly. Right, right. The teachers are busy. It's just a really different kind of busy. Mm-hmm. They're they're facilitating learning in all the groups and all the mm-hmm. ways around their classroom. Even in the little grades, we do centers and stations, right. and the teachers always walking around. If you're going to teach one way and one way only, then the best way is to stand up and lecture to kids mm-hmm. but we believe that all kids learn in different ways so we have to have little centers and stations mm-hmm. or in older grades projects mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. and I I think it's it really reinforces this thing that's kind of trending right now I, I've read in, in a lot of different books um, Chip and Dan Heath talk a lot about that they're the authors of Switch and Power of Moments and um, I can't remember the writer, but this book that I recently read called The Medici Effect, just any book, any of some of those trending books that are talking about entrepreneurship and innovation and really what leads to success, success when you come up with a product or you run a business or anything like that, is this level of curiosity mm-hmm. and staying open-minded mm-hmm. and not having fixed mindset. There's, it's obvious, you know, we've talked a lot about 20th century learning, the era of industrial values. It's completely fixed mindset. It's what you're teaching. You're teaching obedience. You're not teaching, you know, 
really the content very well, not content that sticks anyway, you're teaching obedience. And, and would you rather have somebody who's obedient or somebody that's saying, I'm, I, have, I have a bunch of different skills because I've worked on a bunch of different things. I can work with different people. I've learned a lot of different things. I also have social skills, emotional skills, you know, just all of these different things. But the biggest thing is I'm open to learning. Mm -hmm. I'm open to learning new things. I'm going to bring different ideas in because I'm super curious. That sounds like an employee you want to have, right. you know, is somebody that's constantly wanting to learn and improve and get better mm -hmm. and because they're actually interested in the world that they're living mm -hmm. in. And you know what most of the employers are saying? The kids are coming out from traditional school and just be wait, they're waiting to be told what to do. Right. What's on the test? What should I study? And they yeah. can't think for themselves. Mm -hmm. But they're very capable, especially, you know, in adolescence, their brain's mm -hmm. either pruning and taking things away if it's not being challenged or it's going crazy. And that, I think we all are born born creatives. Yes. We're all born curious. We're all born, you know, even if even if a, a kid shows pretty early on they're going to be like an engineer, like they're building blo with blocks mm -hmm. constantly or they like are really drawn to math or and something. And then they like go that. to school and they just get worksheets. Yeah, it <laughs> does it, that that is that's creativity and curiosity mm -hmm. kind of we're we're all born like that. Yes. A lot of the time it's school that actually ruins that part of us. I hate to I hate to use that word, but it's kind of true. Well, it sort did, of do ruins you know learning. I told you about the red rose with the green stem poem? I think you have. I mean, I'm sure we've talked okay, about so, it, but for so the sake of this, this podcast, go ahead. Okay, so it's this little little guy that goes to school for the first time and he really is very creative in his drawings and he loves to draw. Mm -hmm. um, probably like somebody like our art teacher. But um, he gets his crayons out because the teacher says they're going to draw a picture, and he gets really excited about it. And he's, you know, thinking of all these things he's going to make on his paper and what it's going to look like. And the teacher says, "No, no, no, stop! I didn't tell you what to do yet." And that happens a lot in school. Mm -hmm. And so the, he puts down his crayons, and the teacher said, "Okay, today we're going to draw a red rose with a green stem. So go ahead and get out your red." crayon and your green crayon mm -hmm. so he proceeds to draw his red rose with a green stem mm -hmm. well the story goes on the poems you know much better than what I'm saying now but the gist of it is he moves to another school and it's an innovative school that's doing a lot of creative things mm -hmm. and and again he gets a blank blank piece of paper just like that canvas you know mm -hmm. that he was just so excited about um, in his first school experience and he's allowed to draw anything he wants mm -hmm. and the teacher you know the sky's the limit here's all the the supplies you can do and he doesn't even just have crayons he has markers now to use and different things like that and uh, the teacher walks around and she's looking at everybody's paper and she looks at his and he has a red rose with a green stem mm -hmm. yeah that's an example of it's hard. It, I, I think it's hard as adults, probably because our minds are, are wired. I, I feel like this is kind of just a Western culture thing. You know, make something look good. Just make it look good. Make, mm -hmm. a, make a product that looks good and can achieve something. Now, we do and want I, the kids to have that grit and keep trying to make it look better. Mm -hmm. Or if they're, if they're not happy with their presentation during the project, we want them to self-evaluate. We don't want to cut them down and say, you just get a C, you know, sorry, you'll never get an A. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it would be, let's talk about some self-evaluation and what can you do to do better next time. Right, right. And just when Healthy they're little, feedback. when they're little, the feedback for the teacher is, tell me about your picture. What are you doing here? Asking yeah. kids lots of questions, not just, mm -hmm. you know, earlier we were talking about the teacher's role and, you know, teachers should not be the ones that just hold all the knowledge and spit it out to the kids. Mm -hmm. We need to walk around and ask kids questions, thought-provoking mm -hmm. questions 
intelligence to get that that mind going and see. And um, that's a, a way to assess kids too. We we do a lot of different assessments here. We haven't even touched on that yet, but we assess kids on knowledge that they know through things like a presentation, not just a written test. We still take tests because we're still you know that one foot in the 20th, 20th century we have to be responsible for. But we're going to test them in different ways. It might look very different. We're going to take assessments, but we're going to do them differently. And they the kids can come back and say, you know what, I want to try again. I'm going to study again. I want to learn that content in a different way. That This way didn't work for me. You know, these are the high school kids. They have to be advocates for themselves, but they can redo things. And that brings up this concept of a student, student ownership of learning and how the student gets some say on how do you want to present this information? Mm-hmm. How do you want to talk about what you know? We still need to know what you know. We still have to assess, right? But based on your skill set and based on what you're learning about yourself and who you're becoming, what's the best way for you to, and some kids might choose a presentation. Some kids might choose some sort of art that they can talk about. Some kids might want to do it, you know, make a video, make a YouTube video, just different things. There's all kinds of different ways that kids can show that they know what they know, not just sitting at a desk taking a test or filling in bubbles. So, um, you know, talk a little bit more about that and student ownership of learning, how you've seen that work play out here at the school. Well, I think an easy example for teachers is, um, you know, it's been done for years doing a book report. Mm-hmm. That's a way for teachers to see if you've comprehended the book and you understood the deep meaning behind it, the story, the, the characters, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Well, kids can give book reports in different ways. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of our teachers, instead of doing their traditional book report, they'll have that as an option, mm-hmm. um, but they'll have four or five other choices they can do. Mm-hmm. So one could be a little video. One could be a keynote on their on their mm-hmm. iPad. One could be a diorama. So for those art kids that want to build something and make something, mm-hmm. um, one could dress up like the character and do a mm-hmm. skit or a presentation. Mm-hmm. And kids have those choices. Most of the time, kids will pick something they're, they're pretty good in because mm-hmm. they're interested. Other times, they might not, and it might be scary for them. I can remember when my daughter was here, she, she wanted to dress up like a character, and it was really her first time. It was, mm-hmm. She had transitioned to our school after being in a traditional school mm-hmm. the year I started the school. And she kind of panicked and realized mm-hmm. it was kind of scary to be up in front of people. But mm-hmm. you know what? She did it a few more times after that. When she went off to college, mm-hmm. she did great in her speech class. She got compliments. How do you know how to mm-hmm. public speak so well? Mm-hmm. Well, back in fourth grade when she started here, mm-hmm. that was scary for her, but she kept doing it and doing yeah. it. So yeah. either they pick things that they're really interested in or they might pick some things that are weaknesses, and their weaknesses will be accepted here as we all make mistakes and that's how we learn. Let's try again, mm-hmm. and then they'll get better and better at those weaknesses. So we don't ignore the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. We don't just build on the strengths. We do both. Right, and add in a little bit of challenge too mm-hmm. when it's appropriate. Um, so, you know, I think probably, well, I, I definitely, even though I – work here and understand your philosophy pretty well. I feel even more reinforced, you know, that this is this is a great place to be. But why haven't schools, speak to why haven't traditional schools adopted this philosophy? Why is it so hard for schools to change? Well, Jordan, we said we weren't going to talk politics or religion. <laughs> and you're asking me to talk politics. Oh, no. um, you know, the United States traditionally has not done well in performing in education across mm-hmm. the world. And so I think that we as um, 
our government has tried to improve that over the years. Mm-hmm. So we wanted teachers to be more accountable and make sure that, that kids are getting the same thing across um, all states. So then, you know, Common Core came out. But um, the accountability with the testing was to try to improve the education system, but I think it's taken us backwards. It's tried to put every kid in a box and think that they all learn, only learn one way. We just we ignored all the neuroscience progress that the United States has made at this point mm-hmm. and went backwards to try to test. I see where it's come from. You know, everybody should have some accountability, but um, the way they're doing it is wrong. So mm-hmm. that's... That hangs over the heads of all the public school principals and administrators mm-hmm. out there and then those teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also thinking that we need to challenge teachers to, to do a better job teaching, but we're still not recognizing our teachers as even being valuable professionals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think it's a bigger problem um, mm-hmm. that's multifactored. I don't know that I could really explain it in one way, but mm-hmm. I think teachers in their own little classrooms can have their pockets of greatness mm-hmm. and try mm-hmm. some of these things. Mm-hmm. Try to rearrange your desks in different ways. Mm-hmm. Get a comfy couch in there. Think of thematic units to mm-hmm. do when you're teaching, even if you have to do subject by subject because your school's making you, what can you do in reading to make it fun? Can you take that storybook and and do a a play Mm -hmm. and have different kids in different roles, not just the kids in the play, but who can write the script, who can do the technology, you know, and and think about that. I think teachers would enjoy teaching a lot more too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it is frustrating when you're teaching and you're lecturing and you're thinking, why aren't they getting it? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because, again, that the multiple intelligence too, or why aren't they engaged? Why aren't they happier? Well, they're sitting and they're listening and and they're tired and they're bored, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to listen as much. So I think teachers would feel a lot like they're making a lot more progress mm-hmm. if they did mm-hmm. it these ways. And for the parent out there listening too, I think, you know, if if you don't have a school with 21st century learning available or it's 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 not a good time for you to be switching schools or it's just not, an op, you know, an option right now, um, these are some of the things you can start thinking about when you're at home. You know, that learning can be fun. Learning is everywhere to reinforce and encourage curiosity and creativity in your, you know, with your child. And so when they come home, they know maybe at school they had a lot of requirements in art class, but here's a bunch of paint. Like, let's have fun and let's paint together. Do whatever you want, you mm-hmm. know. I want to see what that brain can come up with when there's no boundaries. Um, and just kind of, reinforcing that at home I mean this I feel like this this is this is uh the best way to nurture a child Mm -hmm. you know 21st century learning is just incorporating this is what's best for children we know now you know Mm -hmm. and so nurturing a child can happen all the time anywhere um you'd hope that it would happen at school because they spend so much time there. But obviously parents can take this home as well. Yeah, I'm thinking some parents might be listening and saying, well, we don't have time because they have homework. Mm -hmm. And I think think (laughs) homework's a whole other topic for another day too. Mm -hmm. But if they have to do the drill and kill and do some homework and practice some things, maybe the parents can think, what? is the way my child learns best. They're so Mm -hmm. active. Can we go out to the driveway and practice shooting basketball hoops as we're practicing our spelling words? Mm -hmm. Knowing if they know, all kids don't have to sit at a desk to be learning. Mm -hmm. I think that's a... a that's a fixed mindset, right? We think that's learning. Mm-hmm. If your child is an active learner and has always been a kinesthetic type of kid, get out in on the or outside and do that learning. Mm-hmm. Let them stand up at the table. Don't make them sit down if they're really active. It's mm-hmm. only going to hinder mm-hmm. their progress. Mm-hmm. 
So think of your child, think of their, what, what if we had to look at the multiple intelligence by Gardner, um, mm-hmm. it's his theory of multiple intelligence, if they want to look that up, and then they can see, this is how my child learns best. So if I have to work on this homework, maybe I can work on it this way with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to start wrapping up here, but I just kind of have two more things I, I want to discuss. Um, so what would you say about this this quote um, by a, a guy named Grant Linkman, and this was he did a recent TED Talk, when it comes to innovation, schools are behind more than any other institution. What do you think about this overall? And um, can you just kind of talk a little bit to why this is this is a problem? We've we've discussed this a little bit, but why you think this is the the most problematic place to be not incorporating innovation and the latest mm-hmm. methods and, and all the research and stuff. Yeah, I think if anybody thinks about how technology has changed our world and how mm-hmm. rapidly things are changing, that means all the jobs are changing. Mm-hmm. So the kids coming out getting the jobs need to change too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our, our schools, just like we said on the first episode or the part one, when you walk through a school, it looks pretty much like it did a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Everything else has changed. We should be using technology in a lot of different ways. We should be using um, creativity. Our kids, are, our kids, if we want them to perform in the 21st century, we don't even know what those jobs are going to be in five years. Mm-hmm. So we need to teach them globally how to be innovators mm-hmm. because m- most likely they will be doing something, if they're successful, creating something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, those collaboration, creativity... Um, cultural awareness is a big thing mm-hmm. for kids now. Civil engagement, like being a good citizen, mm-hmm. um, leadership, all those things need to happen in the classrooms. And, and maybe there's not time for the teachers that are teaching that content in that mm-hmm. traditional way, but it breaks my heart because mm-hmm. those kids need it. Yeah. And, and so it breaks your heart. Yes. That makes me uh, just wonder if you should speak to that a little bit more and kind of, I would love for the audience to hear why is this so personal to you? Okay. So when, um, when I was a student in school way back when, um, I had dyslexia Mm -hmm. and I still have dyslexia. It's not gone. (laughs) It doesn't go away, but you learn to overcome it. But, um, I think now if I was taught in a multi-sensory approach, like Mm -hmm. our kids are here, how much more I could have learned, but I Mm -hmm. always had to play catch up and, and learn things after school. So I Mm -hmm. was sitting in school for seven hours a day, not really learning anything. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness I had parents that took me to tutoring at OSU and different Mm -hmm. places and tried to figure out what was going on with my learning, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't as a result of my education. Mm -hmm. And, um, unfortunately my parents even paid for a private education that still didn't recognize that. Mm -hmm. And, and it's still hard for kids, um, that have a learning disability, but Mm -hmm. that's one reason that I went into education. Um, I was also scared of my teachers all the time. Mm -hmm. I think because I, I knew that maybe I knew the answer, but I couldn't perform on the test and I was going to get shamed for it. Mm -hmm. So I had this fear of teachers. So I made a conscious effort when I was a little girl that I was going to grow up and be a teacher and be as Mm -hmm. nice as I could be. Mm -hmm. So loving kids has always been part of my, Mm -hmm. my philosophy. So when it came out that neuroscience is saying when kids are happy and feeling content and love, they're going to learn more. I'm like, oh yes, great. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that all along. Um, but then I had my own kids, and mm-hmm. um, after being a teacher for several years and trying to give other 
kids my best. Mm -hmm. I sent my own kids out to public school. I even tried a different private school as well and just Mm -hmm. really felt like it was stuck in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness none of my girls have dyslexia and I'm Mm -hmm. glad about that but I was I was looking in that too thinking if they do learn in a different way is this school going to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. So um, with those things stirring in my my belly and breaking my heart, like you mm-hmm. said, I, I just really started researching what could I do if I don't want to homeschool my children because I want to be mom too, mm-hmm. um, what else could I do to help mm-hmm. my kids? And then the more I thought about it, the more I kept learn, l- listening to friends and neighbors whose kids were also struggling. Mm-hmm. So I thought this won't just help my own kids, this could help our community. Mm-hmm. And it has. So, and then the school was launched. Yeah, and it has for sure. So. Um, we'll talk about more about that probably in other episodes. Uh, you know, the more episodes we record, we'll talk about more about um, just the campuses and the growth of the, or the campus and the growth of the school, going from one small building to you know three buildings now um, stretched across 741. But um, I think that that's a great way to wrap up 21st century learning, what it looks like, what it is, and how it really is the best thing for nurturing our kids. So thank you, Gina. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Education Outside the Lines. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast if you are enjoying it. That helps us out a lot. You can email us with questions and comments at educationoutsidethelines at gmail.com. If you are interested in hearing more of what Gina has to say, she's on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow her blog at heartofamustangblog.com to hear more about her unique philosophy, her personal story, and how she started the Sunday Academy.